Good morning and welcome to Midway. If you're a guest today, we're thankful you're here. We want to get to know you. And if you're looking for a place to worship and serve God, we're looking for you. We want to want you to be a part of this great congregation. We know today is Father's Day and we want to wish Happy Father's Day to every one of our fathers who's here today. Uh, it's been uh, several years since I've preached here on Father's Day. I've preached on Father's Day several times in campaigns and so forth, but we are thankful to be home today in order to be able to preach. We appreciate so much. There's some trivial things that you might not know about Father's Day. Some things that, that uh, are historical facts, historical things. Uh, there actually was the beginning of someone trying to get Father's Day started back in 1910. But in 1913, the American Congress voted it down partially because they were afraid that it would conflict with Mother's Day, which had already been established a few years earlier. And so they voted it down. It wasn't until 1966 that President Lyndon Johnson signed the first presidential proclamation in regard to Father's Day, establishing a Father's Day. And it wasn't until 1972 that Congress made the Father's Day, as we celebrated on the third Sunday in June, made it a permanent holiday. And so Father's Day really officially has only been around less than 50 years, about 47 years. And yet it seems as though we celebrated it, have celebrated it forever and forever. And especially for some of the young people, you know, 47 years, that's more, that, that's even longer than eternity. For some folks, you know, that, that is indeed a long, long time. But, but we are indeed happy to have those who are fathers with us today, those who are not fathers and those who are not married, those who plan on getting married. You know, we're glad to have everybody here. Today. There's a passage of scripture that I want to call your attention to this morning. In the book of Malachi, chapter 2, at verse number 10, uh, the Bible says, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? As we look at that passage, the question is asked, and of course you know that this year we're looking at various questions from the Bible, the greatest questions ever asked. And so here's a question in regard to fatherhood. Have we not all one father? Now Malachi is writing evidently to the children of Israel, to Judah, if you will. He's later on in the, uh, his writing, and so he'd be writing to, to Judah itself. And, and he asked that question, have we not all one father? Well, what is he talking about? If you read some of the commentators, they'll say, well, he must be talking about Abraham. Abraham was their father. And then there are others who say, no, it's not Abraham. It has to be God. And it seems to me contextually that he is indeed talking about God because he does mention God in the very next breath, the God who created them. And so he ties the father to the creator, and it seems that is the one that he's speaking about. When we think about it, really and truly, God, there's a sense in which God is the father of the Hebrew nation. Now, there are some passages that we can look at. For example, in the book of Isaiah chapter 63, after recounting what God had done for Israel, Isaiah writes this. He says in verse 16, For you are our father, though Abraham doesn't know us, and Israel does not acknowledge us, O Lord, you are our Father, our Redeemer from old is your name. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 32 at verse number 6, the Bible says, Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? And Moses, of course, is talking about the children of Israel. 
And then he adds this, Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? And so there's a special sense in which God is the father of the Hebrew nation in the Old Testament. There's also a sense in which God is the father of all mankind, though. When we think about other passages in Scripture, such as the one in the book of Hebrews chapter 9, or chapter 12, at verse number 9, the Bible says, besides this, there uh, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and respect, we respected them. And then he adds this, he said, shall we not much more be subject to watch the father of spirits and live? He calls God the father of spirits there, but... As we look and trace some other passages from the Word of God, we know from Numbers chapter 16 at verse 22, as well as the book of Numbers chapter 27 at verse 16, that the Bible says that God is the Father, or God is the God of the spirits of all flesh. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 at verse 7 says, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. If a man has a spirit, then he has God who has given it to him. And if it's God who has given it to him, as the writer of the book of Hebrews said, he is the father of spirits. And so there is that sense in which God is the God uh, of all mankind or the father of all mankind. But number three this morning, there's a sense in which God is the father of the saved. In uh, uh, John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, there's a very interesting statement that's made. He said, talking about Jesus, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave them the right to become the children of God. That's an important passage. Those who believe in Jesus have the right, not they're made the children of God, but they have the right to become the children of God. Now, we don't want to take a detour here, but we do understand that as we look at this passage, that tells us that more than faith alone is necessary to those who believe in Him, those who received Him, He gave them simply the right to become the children of God. In the book of Galatians chapter 4, Beginning in verse 4 and going through verse number 7, the Bible says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, or more literally, Father, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. If a son, then an heir through God. And so even through the idea of uh, adoption, we, we understand that we become the children of God and He becomes our Father. We could go back to the book of John chapter 3 this morning when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and He told Nicodemus, He said, You must be born again. Well, what are you going to be born into? Well, you're going to be born into the family of God. And so as we look at it then, just simply observing this morning, when we're talking about God as being the Father, we understand He was the Father in a special sense to the Hebrew nation. He was a Father in a, in a sense to all mankind. And He's also a Father of the saved in a very, very special sense. 
But I want us to turn our attention this morning to the New Testament. Look at the passage that we read from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3 this morning. In Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, again the Apostle Paul writes and says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now I want you to focus for just a moment on that part that we have bolded and underlined on the screen, that part that says, from whom every family. The word translated family in this place is, is a special word. It's only used a couple, two or three times in the New Testament. Uh, there is a word for family that's more common, but this word has to do with the word father. Matter of fact, the word that's translated family here comes from the word father. And so if you look in your Bible, if it's like my Bible, if you look in your Bible, you may find that there is a footnote or a number beside the word family that's there. And what you'll understand is what Paul says here is that God is the Father from whom all fatherhood in heaven and on earth is named. The families of the fathers, the patriarchs, he is the Father, God is the Father of all fatherhood, the Bible says, from heaven and from earth. Now what does that tell us? What difference does it make? Well, you begin to think about it in this way and you come to understand that if God is the Father of fatherhood itself, if God is the Father of fatherhood, then, then He ought to be a pretty good example of what a father should be, right? He, he, he should be our example. We should be following after Him. We should be looking to Him to find the pattern that we are to live as fathers here on this earth. You know what? Many folks in our nation grew up in homes or grow up in homes that don't have a father. Sometimes the father may abandon the family. Sometimes the father may, for some other reason, have to leave the family, such as he dies in a car wreck or some other reason, you know, happens that, that the father passes away. He may get cancer may get, um, and pass away. And so there are a number of, uh, of families in, in our nation where sons and daughters grow up without a father. And so they don't really get a good picture of what a father is if their father is not there. There are families in our nation who have grown up in homes, children in our nation who have grown up in homes where there is a bad father, right? He might drink, he might do drugs, he may be some other kind of heathen, as sometimes we might say. And so they, they grow up and, and they too don't know what a, what a good father is all about. Many have what they would consider to be a good father. Uh, what they would think of in our nation as being a father who, who, who is a, an example for all, but it may be that they still don't understand what true fatherhood looks like because the father who has become so much of a friend to his children that he is no longer a guide to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, he's not necessarily a good father if he's not teaching his children and guiding them in the right way. And so where do, we get, where do we get the idea, the concept of what a good father is? Where do we find an example? Well, everyone, whether they grow up in a home without a father, or they grow up in a home with a bad father, 
or they grow up in a home where they consider their father to be a good father who in reality hasn't done his job as a father. No matter what home a person grows up in, even if it's a home where there is a Christian father who is doing to the best of his ability to raise his children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, everyone has a prototype, a pattern, a standard for fatherhood. And that is the God of all fatherhood. And so this morning, let's spend just a few brief moments thinking about some of our Heavenly Father's characteristics. And you'll note on your sheet that we haven't filled in a blank yet, but we're about to get into that. When we think about God as being a father, the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 18, no man has seen God at any time. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known unto us. And then if you look at verse number uh, 9 of chapter 14, the Bible says, Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you and still you don't know me, Philip? Whoever has has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? What we'll do this morning is note 12 characteristics of a Father from our Heavenly Father. Now, that's not all of the characteristics of God that make a good Father, but... Uh, That's about all we'll have time for this morning. What we want to do is we want to go through the book of John, where we're introduced to the fact that Jesus has showed us the Father. And if we look through the book of John, we can find a, a good long list of characteristics of fatherhood from God. Okay? So now, you better get ready to write, because we're going to run through those 12 rather quickly. Number one on our list this morning... Let's simply understand that a father should love his children. That's what a father does, isn't it? A father agapes his children. He looks out for their best. A father is one who loves his children. How do I know that? Well, let's look at John. If you have your Bible this morning, you may want to turn along with us. But look at John chapter 3, verses 35 and 36. Notice how verse 35 starts. The father, talking about God... Loves the Son, talking about Jesus. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. How much more plain could it be that one of the characteristics of a father is love? The Father loves the Son. Look at John chapter 5 at verse number 20. The Bible there says, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing, and greater works than these will He show Him so that you may marvel. You know, we often talk of the Father's love, don't we? We illustrate that, and it hasn't been that long since we looked at the idea, the story of the prodigal sons in the Bible. We had an entire sermon. But from passages like that as well as others, we understand the love that a father should have. We go back into the Old Testament and we read about how God looked down on the nation of Israel 
And the Bible describes him, even in the Old Testament, as a tender father who took the children of Israel, as it were, by the hands and taught them how to walk. How many of you have ever seen video or have done this yourself of a father whose son or daughter, you know, little bitty baby, is just learning to take those first steps and how they'll take the hands and they'll walk along with them, you know, trying to get them to understand how, how to walk. God has love. He has love for Jesus. He has love for us. And as we look at it, as we think about it, when we think of fathers on this earth, that should be a natural thing for a father to love his child. I don't have to belabor that point this morning, do I? You this morning, if you're here and you're a father and you have children, you know the great love that a father has for his sons and his daughters. Number one, a father should love his children. Number two, a father is to be worthy of reverence or respect. Fathers to be worthy of that. Where do you find that? Well, back up, if you will. We were in John chapter 5 just a moment ago, but go to the book of John chapter 4. And look at verses 23 and 24. You probably remember verse 24 pretty well. The Bible says there, beginning in verse 23, though, But the hour is coming, and now here, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. You know, as we look at that passage, we often talk about the how, don't we? How do we worship the Father in spirit and in truth? We talk about what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth. We worship God with the right attitude and we worship God with the right authority. We talk about those things. But you know what? As I look at that, there was no question, even from the Samaritan woman when Jesus made that statement, but that God was worthy of worship. Right? No argument from her. She was talking about how we worship God on Mount Gerizim and Jesus uh, and the Jews were to worship God on, on Mount Sinai, or rather from Jerusalem. And, and Jesus said, hey, the time's coming when, when, when we just worship God in spirit and in truth. No argument about He's worthy or not. It was understood. God had been good. God is still good. And, and if you've ever been around Brother Demar Elam, you'll hear him say it a lot. God is good. Every day, isn't he? And so, when we look at that, God was worthy of reverence. Now, we're not talking this morning about worshiping our earthly fathers, are we? That's not the point. We're not talking about that, but we are showing that they are to have our due respect. We ought to respect them. But the Father has to live in such a way that He's worthy of that. Again, we've already mentioned in this lesson that there are fathers who have uh, been bad fathers. They need to live. They need to straighten themselves up and live like a father should live so that they would be worthy. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You know, a father is not to provoke his children to wrath, that passage says. 
but to bring them up in the nurture and admonition. You've got to earn the respect. And so, fathers, if, uh, if you look at your children and they don't respect you, there may be a problem with the child. That child may need to straighten up. But you know what? There may be a problem with the father. And that father perhaps needs to make some changes in his life. Children, young folks, older folks as well. God is serious about honoring our fathers. The Jewish people, especially the Pharisees, had, had said, you know, when my mom and daddy, when they get old, they decided they weren't going to take care of them. They weren't going to honor their father and mother. And so they said, well, we're just going to dedicate whatever it is that we were going to spend on you. We dedicated that to God so we don't have anything to spend on you. That's in Matthew uh, chapter 10. And he, Jesus says that your worship is not even right when you do that. You're worshiping me in vain when you do that. And so parents, fathers especially, mothers too, be worthy of the reverence or the respect that your children should be giving you. Number three, when we think about fathers, we understand that a father should be a worker. Now where do we find that in the book of John? Well, go back to John chapter 5 this time, chapter 5, verse number 17, and just listen to what Jesus said. The Bible says, Jesus answered them. But what did he say? He said, My Father is working until now, and I'm working. God, His Father, had set an example for God, His Son. Now, we understand that Jesus is God. We understand that. But we have the language here. Our, his Father is working until now. Jesus tells us that. That tells us about fathers, another characteristic. We, we sometimes just read over these things and, and don't perhaps tie them in with what fatherhood is all about. But you know what? When you go to passages such as 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse number 8, if anyone doesn't provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. How, how, do we, how, do we, uh, how do we do that? All the way back. When God even instituted mankind or created mankind and put him in the garden, what did he say? Dress and keep the garden. And then when Adam and Eve sinned and God drove them out, God furthered that and said, By the sweat of your brow you will earn your living. And so God said work. God said work. And fathers, by the way, we'll just jump, jump off right here for a second. Not only do we need to be workers as fathers, but again, we need to teach our children to work. To teach them what it means to be good workers. One day, your sons perhaps will be fathers, your daughters will be mothers, and they'll be teaching your grandchildren. And if you've got two lazy bums who are teaching your grandchild, what do you think your grandchild is going to learn? And so teach your children to be workers, number one, by your example, and number two, uh, by, by every means that you have available to you. Then next on our list this morning, a father should be worth imitating. Now we talked a moment ago about the respect that fathers should have, but a father should be worth imitating. John chapter 5 at verse number 19. 
So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees His Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. What did, what did Jesus just say? Like Father, like Son. I know I've told this before, but when I was still at Faulkner University, Daniel was already born. He was just a little bitty boy. One day we went to college, or went to, to the university there, and we were standing out in the, in the hallway of the rotunda, the, the round building, and we were talking. There were three or four of us talking, and, and I leaned up against the wall as we were standing there talking. Well, Daniel, being just a little bitty boy, you know, just a, uh, old enough to walk and stuff, I, I looked over there, and when I leaned against the wall, Daniel leaned back against the wall too. And I folded my arms. Daniel looked up, and he folded his arms. And I tried, you know, for, for just a little while doing different things, and everything I would do, he would do too. Like father, like son. Now, it's cute. That's cute when they're little bitty children and they're just leaning up against a wall or folding their arms. But, but what, what if you use curse words? Is that worth imitating? What if you're drinking alcohol or taking drugs or doing all other kinds of things? Maybe you just don't want to worship God. Maybe you decide to stay home and let mama take the children to worship. Is that worth imitating? You better believe your children are watching. They're watching every day. They see you what you're doing, fathers and mothers. And so be careful, fathers, because they are indeed watching you. But then number five on our list a father should be able to trust his children. Father should be able to trust his children. Look at John chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. You say, well... That doesn't say any, it doesn't use the word trust. No, it doesn't use the word trust, but it describes it. You see, the father turned things over to the son, to the, to the judging of the world. And again, we understand that, that Jesus, the son, is a part of the Godhead. But as we look at it, we understand that God was willing to allow Jesus to be the judge. We do remember the statement that Jesus made, Matthew chapter 28, don't we? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. God the Father was willing to turn that over. He had enough trust in His Son that His Son was always going to do the right thing. That's the very nature of God itself but that he was always going to do the right thing. You know, one of the complaints you often hear from teenagers especially is that mama and daddy don't trust me. And I understand sometimes that parents have trust issues. 
with trusting their child to do certain things, to do some kind of job or to go somewhere or, or to do something. I understand that parents have, have trust issues within themselves. But children, young folks, let me just emphasize for the moment that you must be trustworthy if you want your parent to trust you. And so this sermon is not just what parents should do or fathers should do, but, you know, there are little tips in there for us. If you want your parents to trust you, prove yourself trustworthy, which means that you don't get out there and slip around behind their back and do things you know you ought not do when they're not watching. Because if you do, you're not trustworthy. And don't come, don't come complaining to anybody, Mama and Daddy don't trust me. What have you done to earn it? Parents, on the other hand, when you understand your children, that you've raised them in such a way that you've been able to trust them all your life, let them be trusted. God trusted His Son. Number six, a father should be generous. Generous. There are many examples in the book of John of this, but turn to John 6, verse 32. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. God's a giver. Look at John 13, verse 3. Knowing, uh, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going back to God. John chapter 16, verse 23, And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Again, we could go to a number of different places that talk, show us about the generosity of God. Number seven, a father should want the best for his children. The best for his children. John chapter 6 at verse 40. John writes, For this is the will of my Father, this is Jesus speaking, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. This is the will of my Father. Let me ask you a few questions this morning. Number one, did Jesus have the power to heal people on the earth? Well, you say, well, sure, that's obvious. He healed, he healed many people. Well, did Jesus have the power to heal people from a distance? Yes, we have examples of Jesus healing people from a distance. Did, did Jesus have the power to raise the dead? Yes. He saw a lady who was a widow who had lost her only son, and she was in the funeral procession as Jesus passed by. What did he do? He touched the, the, the coffin, if you will, and he raised that son up. And so Jesus had not only the power to, ra to, to heal the sick, he had the power to raise the dead, right? He had the power to do that. Jesus had the power to stop storms, didn't he? There was the occasion when they were crossing the, 
the Sea of Galilee, and there's a storm came up, and Jesus was in the ship asleep, and the apostles thinking that they're about to, uh, to drown, you know, because the storm's going to capsize their boat. They wake Jesus up, they're afraid, and Jesus said, Peace, be still. The winds and the waves, they all ceased. Jesus had all of that power. All he had to do was say the word and whatever he needed, whatever he wanted was done. Why didn't he take away every sickness on the face of the earth? Why didn't he raise every dead person that ever died? Bring them back. Give them back to their families. Let them be one big happy family. Why why didn't he do that? It wasn't the Father's will. What was the Father's will? That mankind might have eternal life where there would be no sickness and no death. Not down here where we have a physical body that deteriorates, but in heaven with Him. God wanted the best for mankind. That should be the same that we as fathers, the same that we have today. You know, we don't want money or fame or athleticism or artistic ability or educational attainment. Those are good, but they're not the best. And just as the Father in heaven wanted mankind to have eternal life, that should be the goal of every daddy on the face of the earth. My children going to heaven. No matter what it might cost them down here, my children going to heaven. That's what you want in wanting the best for your child. We need to hurry up. Next on our list, number eight, the father should be a teacher. Notice this. John 8, verse 28. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Just as the Father taught me. Wow. I thought Jesus knew everything. Again, we're not diminishing His Godhood this morning. But we are showing from His words what He says fathers should do. And He says, that's what my Father did. My Father taught me. You know, yes, we need to teach our children the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic, as sometimes it's said. But in addition to those three R's, we need to be teaching our children down here how to handle money. How to treat a spouse. How to do practical tasks, which a lot of folks are not doing. But we also, fathers, need to be teaching our children how to go to heaven. Be that spiritual teacher. To whom did God place that responsibility? God placed that on fathers. If you go back to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 6, verses 1 through four. And so fathers be a teacher. Number nine. A father should know his children. 
John chapter 10, verse 15, Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The Father knows me. Not that He's just familiar with Him. He knows Him. He knows Him. Fathers, do you know your children's interests, their abilities, their friends, their wants, their weaknesses? Are you acquainted with every aspect of your child's life? That's what we strive to do. We understand we're not God. We can't know everything about them. We can't know everything that they're doing every minute of the day. We need to know our children. We learn our children by being around them, spending time with them, talking to them, getting to know them, just like you would anyone else, but your children in particular. Father should know his children, which leads us to number 10, a father should talk to his children. Again, look at John chapter uh, 12, verses 27 through 29. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This is Jesus as he is talking to his Father. Father, glorify your name. And then notice the next thing that verse says. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said that an angel has spoken to him. Did you realize there are at least three times in the Scriptures when the Bible says God spoke to His Son and to others who were around Him? Two times, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. One time He adds to that, hear Him. This time... As Jesus is praying to him, the Father literally answers him out loud. He talks to his son. Talk to your children. Again, get to know them. When was the last time you had a good conversation with your children? Next, a father prepares a home for his child. Or his children. John 14, verse 2 In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse number 8, we mentioned a while ago. We understand that a father is to provide for his children. And then next, a father should be ready to welcome his children home. John chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus said, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus said, I'm going back home. I'm going back to my Father's house. Now, did God take him back? Was God ready for Jesus to come back? Well, the answer to that is in Acts chapter 2, verses 32 and 33. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted to the right hand of the throne of God. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, 
He has poured out this that you you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Jesus didn't just go home. He went home and was exalted. Does that sound like the Father was ready to welcome him home? You know, when children come to visit after, after they grow up, especially when they have the grandkids with them, but the children too, you look forward to it. You want to spend some time with them, especially if you've been away from them. You want to renew your relationship to keep it strong. Jesus went home. What a challenge we face to be like the Father of all fatherhood. It's a big challenge, isn't it? It tells us, tells me at least, that I have to work hard being the father that I need to be. And especially when your children are at home, when when they're growing up, you have to work hard. And not just coast through parenthood. That's, that's not an option. You see, I have to do my best to implement the characteristics of the father of fatherhood in my own life. And so as we close this morning, let me just close in this way. Let me ask this morning... Is God your Father in that very special sense in which He is the Father of the saved? John 3, verse 3, Jesus answered him, talking to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, verse 5, you know the verse as well. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What do you mean being born? We've already talked about that just a little bit in this lesson, being born again, born into the family of God. How do we do that? We're born of water and the Spirit. What water is he talking about? Did you realize that the very next thing that's said about water in John chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, is that Jesus and his disciples... We're baptizing. John was baptizing, verse 23, in Enum near Salem because there was plenty of water there. I guess the question that I'm asking this morning, is God your Father by virtue of the fact that you've been baptized into His family, that you've been born into His family? Somebody says, well, preacher... I read in John chapter 3, verse 16, that as long as I believe in God, then I will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. But did you read 20 verses later? Verse 36, which says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Then He turns it around and said, Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Faith includes obedience. 
Have you obeyed the gospel this morning? Putting your life in God's hands by being baptized into His family? Maybe you've done that. But as you look at your life, maybe this verse needs to come to mind. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 17. If you call on Him as Father, if you call on Him as Father, there's something that God expects of you. If you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, watch this, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. You want to translate that? Live right. Live a godly life. If you examine yourself this morning, even though you call on God as Father, and your life is not right with Him, we'd love to pray with you, pray for you. Maybe that you need to uh, come this morning asking for prayer, or come this morning to be baptized. Whatever your need may be, if you want to and you will, do it right now as together we stand.